What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The Hale Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts, Chris Schmidt. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he's 28, and now, roll time. And Mark Cranach. Time has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot is me. Welcome to it. It's a weekend edition of Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. No Chris Schmidt. No Mark Cranach. But we do have Elijah Herbal, me, alongside Colton Stone and Damon Bars producing the show this morning. And I tell you what, I've, I'm trying to do my best Chris Schmidt impersonation here. I got the hoodie. I got the sweatpants. I got the low hat. Um, I'm really just trying to try to channel his energy this morning uh, as we get you through on the weekend. Uh, it's good to have Colton Stone back alongside. Been uh, been a while since Colton's been on the show, actually, in person. I know yeah. we, we talked to him on Thursday, but when was it? Last, like, September? October? Well, it had to have been October. I got married back in October, and then I probably did two more weeks after that, and then, yeah, I was out of here. The only thing we're missing uh, for, for Schmidt and Cranach is we're not drinking at 7 in the morning. So, um, <laughs> you know, tumbler, it, some vodka lemonades. That's right. It's, it's weird. Vodka Red Bulls, whatever it is. It's kind of weird thinking like, you know, it's, it's at the beginning of October, and we have no Nebraska football yet. Like, we, I was thinking about this the other day, and... You know, and we talked about it the other day that the Big Ten football is coming back. Like, I'm I'm excited like anybody else. And it, it's weird that it's still, like, a month away, you know. It's still, like... Like three weeks now. Yeah, in three weeks now. But it's just, you know, the ramp up is just like, hey, we've had, we have football, but, you know, it's like three more weeks. And, yeah, but obviously camps and everything, I, I get why they had to push it so far back. Because some teams weren't practicing, but... Uh, it can't come soon enough. It'll be here sooner than we think. My method to get there, to get us to October 24th, has been uh, with a month ago, last Saturday. Uh, it actually hasn't gone well. I mean, it was a little more than last Saturday. It was like middle of last week. I decided, okay, we're a month away from the start of Husker football. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get on a month-long workout program. There you go. And then by the end of the month, I'll be jacked and I'll be ready to go for Husker football. Uh, but then this past week, I've really, I've really slacked on it. It's not been a good workout program. I, uh, I hurt my ankle too playing basketball on like day mm-hmm. two. Um, so then I was stuck only doing upper body. And then I'm like, you know, I, I don't want to be just completely asymmetrical, giant up. I look like a pizza slice, you know. We got to get the three of us together for for some three on three basketball. Well, did you hear uh, what we're doing or what I'm doing with the uh, the morning show guys? No. Well, okay. I think I saw a video, but I mean, look at the size difference between the three of us. Like, we could do. I mean, I got some bully ball in me. All right, I'll back somebody down in the paint. I got a mean three point shot. I claim. I claim that I do. I don't think I do. If if I get going, if I if I make my first shot, it's going to be a bad night for me. But as long as I miss the first three pointer, it's going to be dangerous night. What did Dion Waiters say? I'd rather go 0 for 30 than 0 for 8. 0 for 8 means I gave up. 
<laughs> that's 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 not how I live, to be honest that's, with you. That's how I live. If I go uh, 0 for 8 from the 3, I'll go to my floater and I'll go 0 for 14 from the floater. That's right. There you go. Damon, are basketball player or no? If I would go 0 for 8, I'd start uh, passing every time I got the ball. I, I love playing basketball, but man, I go cold when I go we cold. We got a distributor. Yeah, we Damon, got a distributor. Damon's just going to say, you know what? Tonight's not my night. Somebody else's night. Well, well the plan that uh, was I was challenged alongside the, the producer for Gregeth and Hooks in the morning. Uh, and I've talked about this before in the show, so I don't want to spend too much time on it. But we were challenged by Gregeth and Hooks, Will and I, uh, to a two-on-two game. And I told Chris about it, and he's like, well, I'm going to get it set up. We're going to do it in the rail yard. I'm going to commentate. <laughs> we're going to live stream it on the ESPN Twitter, and, and we'll, we'll save it so they can play it on the morning show. And, and we're going to play ones and twos to 15. And every single time a shot gets made on you, somebody on your team has to take a shot. Down the road, which is just going to get it's going to get dangerous. It's going to be bad by like the fourth point. Well, the, the, the thing is, what I'm thinking is now those guys play a lot of beer league softball. Those yeah, guys, those guys know how youth. to drink, but I, I have my youth. Yep. So I'm thinking as they drink, they're probably going to get their second wind. But I think we might be able to hold it just a little bit better than them. That's true. And then we just won't get tired at the end anyway because we're young and fit, quote unquote fit. I might have to, I might have to, uh, Open some spread. We'll have to call Danny. We'll have to get some spreads. <laughs> so we can get some betting going. Get the over under on that thing. I might have to. Yeah, if, if if that if we get that put together, I might have to. You, you make can a book trip it down here. You can book it. You can go down to the rail yard and you can get all the bets <laughs> from the people. You can make the money off of it. Charge admission. I think it's a good idea. And then we got we got an audience in the rail yard. I mean, I think the pressure's all on them. They're the famous ones. That's true. Yeah, you got. You got. We're put, just the producers. You got to put the pressure on the on the guys that that people know, you know, and then that way you make a name for yourself. Right, I we, like it. You want to get into some actual sports now? Yeah, I guess. Okay, we can start off with NBA Finals last night. Um, yeah, yeah. Colton's already ready to move on <laughs> as the Heat find themselves down two zero after mm-hmm. Jimmy Butler's quote yesterday before the game that he didn't care what the people thought. Uh, he said they were going to win last night, and that was not the case. Yeah, was it a 10-point loss? I mean, it, amazingly, that game was close uh, at all. You know, you have Hero starting. Uh, yeah, Goran Dragic, Dragic, Dragic is hurt, as hurt. well as Bam Adebayo. Bam, yeah, Bam was still listed as doubtful, but I figured if, if they want I, I mean, I said on Thursday, if they want any shot at winning a game in the series, they've got to be healthy. And if there's no sense in throwing a guy out there uh, if if he's not at least like eighty percent, you know, especially with the the short turnaround in the next season, you don't want to risk a guy. I mean, I know it's the NBA Finals this is the pinnacle, but at the same time, you don't want to risk a guy who yeah. can then hurt himself even worse and then miss you know half the next season. Yeah, and and you know, let's like we said, let, let's call it what it is. We kind of knew what was going to happen in this series. I, I'm not no as a Heat fan, I'm not doubting the Heat, but like they. You know, in, in in a regular season uh, where you're not in a bubble, you're you're traveling now. If if they would have pulled this off, like having to go on the road, and then you have L.A. and Miami, that's like the NBA's dream for a finals because you have two of your biggest markets. Uh, and if bars and and clubs were open, that would that would be a nightmare. Um, yeah, if this is a regular season. A Miami LA NBA Finals. I think Miami's actually got a, a bit of a better chance, but in a bubble against yeah. LeBron and AD. Yeah, and that's the thing. Is when, that, you, when you got the crowd cheering you on, whenever you got Lakers players, probably 
going and hitting the bars in Miami after a game. Let's be honest. I, I Dwight trust, Howard's yeah. stumbling back to the hotel. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just look at that Lakers team. That's a. I, I don't want to. I don't want to label them too much, but yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at J.R. Smith. I'm looking at Dwight Howard. I'm looking at some party hards on that team. Yeah, yeah. I um. I don't think Jimmy Butler is the type to go hit the bars after uh, after a, a game three loss, but I think Dwight Tyler Howard is not old enough. So <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. See, and that's somebody made that that point too. Is that if if this was you know you could go out like in Miami or in L.A., you're gonna find underage Tyler Hero at a bar, and, and all of a sudden you know videos are gonna be surfacing of him everywhere. Uh, so maybe it's a, a benefit that they're in a bubble and, and they can't go do anything. But I, I think the, um, I, I think we all, like I said, we all knew what was going to happen in this series. It was just a matter of would the Heat be able to use their their tenacity, their a little bit of their their firepower to to maybe steal game one or game two to try to maybe get a little bit of momentum. Um, obviously some injuries in game one. So game two, like I said, them even being able to keep it close uh, is amazing. But I, all I hope for is that they don't get swept. If they're going to get swept, at least let it be a gentleman sweep and, and give them game three or game four. But uh, if if Bam's not playing, I, I have a hard time seeing this thing go more than probably four games. And this is a tough matchup for Bam Adebayo, too, where he's playing against two tall physical centers in oh, Dwight yeah. Howard and JaVale McGee. Um, and those guys had last round against Jokic to deal with a guy mm-hmm. uh, who can play the five and can facilitate. They kind of already had a game plan uh, for a guy like Bam Adebayo, and I think Jokic is right now better than Bam Adebayo. Yeah, obviously been in the league longer, too. Mm-hmm. And uh, Both those guys are, are kind of changing the center position. The whole, the whole yeah. analytics approach 10 years ago was get the big slow centers out, get fast centers in who can go in uh, and make a difference. They can go spread the floor a little bit more. And now we're going back. The analytic guys are saying, hey, look at Jokic and Adebayo who can go sit at the, in the high post and facilitate. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing a, a shift back to that. But this Lakers team is still this Lakers team. Yeah, I mean, look at a guy like Anthony Davis. Like that's, That is what you want in a five right now or a stretch four. I mean, there it's positionless basketball. I mean, LeBron can go play point guard and LeBron can play center. I mean, that's just kind of what it is. Again, I can speak from personal experience as a Heat fan. You know, Miami goes and gives Hassan Whiteside a huge contract, which basically is what forced Dwayne Wade to leave. And at that time, like the year they signed that contract was like, yeah, the the five is kind of a traditional five still. And then like the very next year is like, yeah, we, no one wants a traditional five. Like they're, they're just there. It's not that there's no room for it in the game anymore. If you have one, if you have a guy that can play the five really well and, and play that as a position, it works, but there's too many guys that are six foot 10 to seven foot that can now shoot threes, uh, that can drive, that have, you know, decent jumpers that they're, there's not really a need to have a you know a Shaq down low. Now, if you have Shaq, you have a talent like that, use it. But I just don't think that guys are are coming up through the ranks playing that style of basketball anymore. And speaking of Shaq, I look at LeBron James in this finals, and right now, I think he's the the second most physically dominant player that the NBA has ever seen. At his, at his point right now, 
Shaq's number one. Shaq was, Shaq's the most dominant player in NBA history. And he's just, not the best player, and but just he's the most dominant. Physically speaking, yeah. physically speaking, that guy would go dominate anyone in the post. It did not matter who you had. Shaq would dominate you in the post. And I look at LeBron now, and I don't think there's really anyone in the game who, I mean, whenever you post him up, if you're bigger than LeBron, LeBron's faster than you. Mm-hmm. And if you're smaller than LeBron, LeBron is going to back you down into the post, hit you with a couple post moves, and it's, it's an easy layup, really. Anytime LeBron James wants to get to the rim, he can. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, I always hate that argument sometimes when people are like, well, if he wants to, he will. And it's like, well, and then you see it and you're like, okay, I guess if he wants to, he will. You know, I, I feel if, like if that. He is, if he can get that, I mean, whenever he's tired in a game, I, I get it. He's probably he's not going to get to the rim. I mean, he's not old. I mean, he's in his 30s, you know. He's old compared to us, but it's... He's old compared to the most NBA players. Yeah, and he's got a lot of miles on his wheels, but, um, you know... He, he was still a pioneer taking care of his body. Yeah, well, when you spend, when you make as much money and spend as much money as he does, yeah, I, I, I would hope so. But at the same time, you know, there's been plenty of guys that have made as, just as much money and, and they have, you know, season-ending injuries, uh, you know, every couple of years. So, I mean... Yeah, we haven't had a, a single LeBron James, like, bad injury. That injury last year, last you kind of argue, but I think that was more just they knew they weren't in playoff position, so why are we going to risk LeBron? He quit on his team, is that what you're saying? I think the I think the Lakers made him quit on his team. <laughs> they probably wanted him to get help. I mean, it's it's one of those that uh, you know something happens and, and the doctor's like, okay, well in two weeks I could clear you, but if you want it to fully heal, you know, let's give it eight weeks. And I think that's kind of what it was. It was like, hey, you could probably come back in like two weeks, but uh, maybe take off two months and, and you'll be good to go. So um, I, I guess my overall, I, I figured the Lakers were going to win this thing from the start. Um, you know. The storyline, obviously, with Kobe and everything, uh, it'd be incredible. It sucks for me, but, you know, it kind of is what it is. And, um, you know, like you said, short turnaround, people will probably forget about this pretty quick. People are already saying it's an asterisk championship anyways. So, I mean, it'll happen. It'll be over. It'll be the next season. It'll be like, it'll be weird. It'll be weird that the NBA will be done and then back, like, right away, but. The other story I want to get into this morning is uh, some sad news out of Omaha last night, and that's that one of the best players to ever come out of, uh, of Nebraska in any sports, uh, Bob Gibson, passed away last night after a, uh, a year-long fight with cancer, and just the dominance of Bob Gibson. I, I, didn't, I, mean, I didn't ever get the chance to watch Bob Gibson. Uh, I'm excited to talk with uh, Gary Sharp next hour a little bit about this, uh, but Hall of Fame pitcher Bob Gibson passed away last night in Omaha, and I- I'm just looking through these stats from him, and it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1968, he won the MVP and Cy Young. And across 34 starts, I'm going to just get into his, uh, his stats for the season. He was 22-9 and nine mm-hmm. with 13 shutouts. Across 34 games, he had 13 shutouts. He pitched 304.2 innings. Uh, and in those innings, he had a 1.12 ERA. 268 strikeouts. And he averaged .85 walks or hits per innings pitched. I'll, we're never going to see a season like that in baseball again. What's What's even crazier is, so in in those thirty four games, he was never pulled for another pitcher. Thirty one times he went the distance, and the other times were for a pinch hitter. And like as a as a pitcher, he wasn't. He wasn't a he was a good hitter as far as a pitcher goes, 
but he was still a pitcher. I mean, you know, you kind of you're kind of one or the other. There's not there's not really a true like, two, you know, this is back in the '60s too. So there's not really a true like two way player as far as that goes. But just like the fact that you know we think of we think of pitchers now as like oh the bullpens like. Like that, everyone's just in, after, especially after Ned Yost, everyone's like, oh, here comes the seventh inning. You know, it's going to be two guys out of the bullpen, and here's your closer. And it's just like to think that, you know, that never happened for Bob Gibson, you know. And, and obviously, like, I, yeah, I never really, I obviously never got to watch it uh, live or anything, but I've always, like, seen Bob Gibson as one of the, one of my, you know, favorite pitchers to just kind of like go back and be like wow what what a sight that would have been to see and especially to come out of Omaha he also holds a record that I don't think anyone's ever going to touch in that 1968 season and that's in game one of the 68 World Series he had 17 strikeouts 17 and I remember what was it less than a week ago three days ago we had Trevor Bauer and his uh, outing for the Reds he had 11 strikeouts in uh, about eight innings pitched which was ridiculous yeah, eleven, but seventeen in a World Series game. No one's ever going to touch that. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of like the, well, what the record is even for a regular season game. You know, twenty. I think it's twenty one. You know, and a couple guys have touched twenty. I mean, but to, to but to hit seventeen in a World Series game. I mean, yeah, I, I doubt. I'm. I've tried to like even think of of guys pitching right now that could do it, and the, and there's plenty of guys. But the the difference is now everyone throws a hundred. You know, everyone throws in the nineties. Everyone has a dirty changeup. Everybody has you know something that gives them that slight advantage. But but the difference is now the batters kind of you kind of know. You know, you kind of have an idea of what it looks like. And I can only imagine that uh, with what he was throwing back in you know the sixties is just like. As a batter, you'd be like, what is going on? And in, in response to that 68 season, the MLB lowered the mound. Yep. And in response to his performance in the 68 season, uh, they lowered the mound by five whole inches. And it's still, and it hasn't changed since. <laughs> well, I mean, think of, I mean, lowering it by five inches, um, I think back to, to Randy Johnson, the big unit, because mm-hmm. of his height. He was what, like six foot eight? Ridiculous. Six, I think he's 6'10. Something just ridiculous. Let's get a stats guy on that. And you got to think uh, the angle of that pitch is coming in whenever you got those long arms at six foot eight. It's coming downhill at the batter. Yeah. And, and it's the same story with Bob Gibson. And they had to lower the mound because they're like, we don't know what we can do against this guy. He's unhittable. Yeah. And and it, that's just, that again, that's the uh, that's the crazy thing about that. 6'10", you're right. Nailed it. I, yeah, I know my Randy Johnson facts. He killed a bird one time. Um, that was cool. So, yeah, that's that's just the interesting thing. It's just like there's, you know, we say every few years or every you know, whatever every decade, there's a, a generational talent in most sports. You know, like you see a guy come through the draft, um, or you know, even you know, while you're watching him in college, it's like this guy is going to be the next guy. Um, but very few times. Do you see somebody that like you literally have to change the rules for? Like I don't think in football is there ever going to be like, oh, uh, Lamar Jackson's too fast. We have to come up with a new rule. So so there are like, oh, Patrick Mahomes just he can be blindfolded and standing backwards and and throw a touchdown pass. We have to fix that. You know, there's like that just doesn't happen. Like the, there aren't times where a single player typically like I'm sure throughout the years, but like now I don't think there is a. I don't think there is something that could happen now in a, in a professional sport that would make them drastically change the rules. And I think that's 
I think that's incredible. I, I don't even know what's what that's comparable to. You know, the tuck rule maybe. But even then that was a one off thing, you know. This is a guy dominating an entire season and then being like the only way for us to have an advantage is if we put a rule or or change something that is now a disadvantage to him. And it, it's not like it changed that much, but now the uh, the second player in as many weeks to die from just that, that golden generation of Omaha sports talent. We had Gail Sayers mm-hmm. uh, a little over a week ago uh, pass away. He was an Omaha Central talent, and now Bob Gibson, uh, an Omaha Tech talent. I mean, these guys grew up in the same neighborhood, and they were both some of the most dominant players in their sports uh, at their respective times. Uh, so just, I mean, I don't think Nebraska's ever going to see anything like that again, uh, just in terms of, of dominance from the guys that came from this one little area. Mm-hmm. So just obviously sad stuff to hear about Bob Gibson. We'll get Gary Sharp's thoughts about that in the next hour. But Gary from Michigan, we heard your call. We're going to get into some Husker football. Uh, we got about 10 minutes here before we rewind with uh, Derek Peterson. We talked with Derek on Thursday about that Husker offensive press conference. Uh, uh, but, I mean, let's just look at that. Can't talk. Let's get into some Husker football. Uh, so much to talk about this week as the Husker defensive coaches uh, had their press conference on Tuesday. Husker offense took to the podium on Thursday. And then we had Scott Frost yesterday just getting into everything fall camp. We're back in pads. How awesome is that? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I just want to get your guys' thoughts. Uh, we haven't had Colton in here in a while. Uh, and Damon, obviously, uh, now that we've had Scott Frost, I just want to talk about what we're looking forward to uh, through fall camp, what we want to see the Husker team get better at. And what I want to start with is tackling. It's not sexy. No. Whenever the good teams do it well, you, you barely notice. You go, wow, that team's a good tackling team. Yeah, usually it just means they're giving up a lot of points, you know? Yeah. Like if you're like, and that's the other thing is, like you said, you don't notice when a team tackles well. It's just like, but hey. You, but you notice whenever they don't tackle well. Yeah, but it's like, hey, uh, what are all these arm tackles and why are they giving up 35 points a game? Like it usually, however many points you give up a game usually leads to how many or how well you're tackling, right? Uh, also, before we get too deep into it, I'm just excited that Nebraska's going to have a home-and-home home with Uzbekistan. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm excited for that. I know that Nebraska was supposed to play in Ireland, but, you know, let's just push – let's just – you know, let's play in Let's play in Soviet Russia. Like, I mean, I, I'm, I think it's – I hear Chernobyl's got a great stadium right yeah, now. It's not yeah. in use. <laughs> well, you know, maybe, maybe the uh, radioactive ground may, may not be – preferable but I, hey you're, you're it'll, it'll make you strong you know when you go into sec country it'll make you stronger so um but yeah i i think uh that that's something that uh, husker fans have been looking for for a while is you know a a return to that you know i don't know if we'll ever see that 2009 defense again you know look at that offensive line and, and sue and that that whole defense was stacked but that's you everyone sees that 09 defense and it's like if you could do that every year in the big 10 you know you're you're fighting for a top spot at least in the West, and if you're playing that well, you should be able to beat a handful of the East teams too. Well, and this that's not what Eric Shander's defense is built to be. No, it's not built to be that Carl Pelini, Bo Pelini defense, that Brent Venables defense at, at Clemson. Yeah. Those are teams that are built to have dominant defenses, and that's not what Eric Shander's about. But when if you're allowing 5.7 yards per carry in conference play as the Huskers did last year, you're, you're not going to win many games. It's as simple as that. I, th- I believe, personally, it starts with the tackling. Linebackers were poor tackling last year. Mm. Uh, the secondary is getting better, but they're still not there yet. I-, I can't count how many times I watched guys like Lamar Jackson or DiCaprio Boodle uh, or Muhammad Barry. You-, you think you got him 
one yard after gain of one, you know, on, on a screen play, on an outside run play, and then it's leaky yardage where mm-hmm. well, there's one missed tackle, Jonathan Taylor cuts up field, and boom, six, seven yards off, like just like that. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, it's just, it's, and you look at all the running backs in the Big Ten too, and I think that's how you kind of get your mind to to justify it. Like, okay, well, it's Jonathan Taylor. Like, he's doing this against everybody. But then you see him play against, like, Ohio State. And it's like, well, he's not doing it against Ohio State, you know. And, and all it comes down to is that they're just fundamentally more sound, right? And I think uh, I, I think what's really funny, too, you know, is, is people that follow a lot of other people in the Nebraska media is, like, when LSU lost in Mississippi State, uh, everyone's just saying, like, oh, I, I'm – I'm sure these guys are surprised that their defense is uh, – this is what their defense looks like under Bo Pelini. It's like, I, I wonder why those arm tackles looked familiar, you know. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, it is just – it's kind of a lost art form, it feels like. And, and it really is the key to, you know, stopping the run in the Big Ten is if, if you can't stop a guy within three yards the line of scrimmage, uh, you're going to get torn apart a lot. Like there are too many good running backs and too many good offensive lines and there's in too the many, Big Ten. There's too many Big Ten teams that are willing to hand the ball off on first down and second down. And, and when third down. I mean, when you're averaging 5.7 yards per carry, if that's six yards on first down, three and a half on second down, it's now third and inches, and guess what? They're going to hand the ball off again. Yeah. And, it, and once you can't stop the run, then your linebackers are going to have to start playing closer to the line of scrimmage. Every single play action they're going to have to bite on, and guess what it's going to open up? How many times did you see crossing routes last year just burn the linebackers? Mm-hmm. Just the simplest route where you'd have a guy in the slot just run a, just the laziest crossing route across the middle, and A, Muhammad Barry, that's not who he's built to be. He's a 4-3 linebacker playing in a 3-4 system. He was not built to cover the pass. But whenever he's got to play up close to the line of scrimmage because he knows Jonathan Taylor's in the backfield, it's easy, easy money to have a crossing route just across the middle, Easy six yards. Yeah, it doesn't even matter if Alex Hornibrook's your quarterback. It doesn't matter who Wisconsin has as a quarterback. He's he can make a four yard pass and and have a receiver, you know, go fifteen yards down the field. That's uh, yeah. I I guess it's something like I said, tackling is just something you don't really like think about until it's bad. Well, because it's because you expect that these guys that you're recruiting as four stars coming out of high school, you expect oh they're gonna be able to tackle. They can wrap up a guy, right? Take him to the ground. It it sounds it, it sounds easier than it is. Oh yeah. Well, it's just like it's it's like the three of us. If we just like told Scott Frost, like, hey man, why don't you establish the run? Like, oh well, yeah. Let's just establish the run <laughs> against three five star linemen uh, that are probably going to be in the NFL. Or like, oh well, if you just win the trenches, like you should win all your games. Well, yeah. I mean. That's why Wisconsin, Iowa, Ohio State win so many games. Even Northwestern, they dominate the trenches. Like that doesn't mean it's easy. It just they do it well, you know. And that's the same. Like you, you know, I might go up to Shenander and be like, "Hey, if you guys just tackle better, like I, I think everyone knows that, you know." But it's just the idea of like when you watch it, like you'd think it would be better, uh, but who knows what's going on? Like it, you know, maybe. Maybe it's from not being able to hit as much in practice. Maybe it's just, you know, it's form, it's fundamentals, whatever it may be. But, yeah, you, you when it's bad, you just, like, it, it just racks your brain. Like, shouldn't this be the easy part of defense is just bringing a guy to the ground? And it's not always. Before we get out of here for Derek, second thing I'm looking for uh, just really fast is which young guys are going to be stepping up for the offense. Mm-hmm. The, the offensive line is, thankfully, the smallest question mark, I think, on the entire team this year. Mm-hmm. 
the offensive line, you know, they're going to, I mean, with the, the improvement they made throughout the year last year, all those guys are coming back. That offensive line should not have any issues. I, I, I say that now, but Ohio State's week one, maybe they'll have some issues against Ohio State. But throughout the season, that should not be the position group where you're looking at and going, man, I wish they were playing better. Man, I wish they had more experience. This offensive line is one of the more experienced offensive lines in the Big Ten. And that, that's not the question mark on offense for me. The question mark for me is who's going to be getting open for Adrian Martinez. Mm-hmm. That was the issue last year. Kenawai Noah could not get open. J.D. Spielman was just about the only guy who could go beat his man one-on-one. Mm-hmm. This next year, you got Omar Manning. Six-foot-four beast. He should be able to get open. You got Wandale Robinson. He's not going to be banged up. The, the offense isn't going to be running through him as much this year. He should be able to get open. And I've seen just little clips from his Instagram where he looks ridiculous. He's getting five yards of separation on just every single route that I'm seeing him post. And I know he's posting highlights. They're called highlights for a reason. But who's going to be that third guy stepping up? For me, I've heard really good things from my inside sources down there at practice. I have inside sources now. How official does that feel? But I've heard good things about Alante Brown. Mm. I've heard that guy is almost on the same level as Wandale Robinson as Wandale was in his freshman year. Just in terms of explosiveness, in terms of route running, in terms of how dangerous he is in the open field. Alante Brown is my guy to watch. I think he's going to be the third option for this Husker team, especially with all the things he can do. Yeah, I know we're running a little tight here, but I I think that is, to go back to the offensive line part, I'm not too worried. They have depth, they have experience, they're trying to get guys, like I said on Thursday, you know, you might play center one week and play guard the next week. You may play guard, then tackle. You may switch to the from the right side to the left side. I, I think Greg Austin's got that figured out. Um, there may still be some issues, but I think they'll get it figured out. Uh, when it comes to receivers, yeah, I mean it's it's Omar Manning and it's uh, and it's Wandale Robinson. You know, I think the the thing that was missing is you don't you didn't really have uh, a Stanley. You know, you didn't mm. you didn't have a guy that was the clear number one that. Drew one or two guys that is going to need that safety help, right? Yeah, that will lead to a guy like JD Spielman, Wandale Robinson, maybe a guy out of the backfield, uh, maybe some tight end action. I mean, keep an eye on the tight ends too. Like that, I think that's something that could be utilized in this offense. But uh, yeah, I think they have plenty of experience in the running backs. They have plenty of experience on the offensive line. Whether it's McCaffrey or Martinez, you have a, a quarterback that can run this offense. It's a matter of who on the outside is going to provide. That, that deep threat, and who's going to be able to pull two, maybe even three defenders in order to get somebody else open. Coming up after the break, we're going to be talking a little bit with this with uh, Derek Peterson, our chat from Thursday as the offensive coaches took to the podium, and we got his thoughts on uh, who that third guy could be for the offense, uh, who that second running back is going to be. Lots of good stuff coming up with Derek Peterson after this. It's the weekend edition, Hail Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. with Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery, with Chris Schmidt and Mark Cranach. Set it out to welcome in Derek Peterson, writer for Hale Varsity Magazine, and former Oklahoma Sooner, Darren, uh, Derek, I, I think you might know where I'm going with this one, but the Sooners had a disappointing performance to K-State, as we pretty much all know this past weekend. Uh, it's first time we've had the chance to, to chat with you about it. I know it's been a while now. Maybe you've had your uh, chance for your emotions to settle a little bit. Uh, I, I assume you were watching the game, right? I mean, I was excited to come on the radio show until now. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry. How are you going to do me like that? Opening with no, I mean, two two years in a row now that OU has lost to uh, Chris Kleiman, K State team. Um, I think when I was in school there, 
they came, the Wildcats came to Norman and beat OU, um, and, and campus was devastated and hated the kicker, uh, as is normally the case on most college campuses, uh, because hashtag college kickers. Um, but I was no, I wasn't sad. Um, you know, everybody, I make the joke all the time. Like people think that I'm a OU football fan. I love my school. I love my, um, my college that I went to Gaylord, um, school of journalism is, is, near and dear to my heart but in terms of like fandom for the the football team you know i I can take it or leave it i really enjoy watching um chris Kleiman and and skylar thompson um and the kansas state offense they're fun they're fun offense after you know years of bill snyder's um ground and pound and having what was it colin klein i think was their quarterback that was running over dudes years ago um skylar thompson's fun to watch they got when uh before it was, it came out that the Big Ten was um, going to revisit and, and actually have a football season. I remember watching their first game against Arkansas State and watching Deuce Vaughn run around, and I was like, man, it's making me sad because he reminds me of Wando Robinson, and we're not going to get to see this in the fall now because this kid is, is fun and exciting and electric to watch in space. But now we get to see Wando Robinson this fall, which I assume is why you have me on to talk about. I want to talk about the offense, but really fast, your your kicker story about everyone hating the kicker reminded me that uh, last winter, this is right after Matt Waldock announced that he was leaving the team, I saw him on campus, and I was like, oh, hey, Matt, like, uh, I enjoyed watching you kick last year. I'm sorry to hear you're leaving the team. He was, like, shocked that anybody recognized him on campus. I think it may have been, like, the first time ever. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, I mean, you, you, you hit some kicks last year. I really liked watching you play. Um, that's- I just want to point out what a Nebraska story that is, that you recognize the kicker. Because I don't think people on OU's campus would recognize the kicker. Well, I mean, he was my hero. He was a guy that came from just being a normal student and then decided to join the team for like six months, made a few kicks, uh, had his name on national television. I knew who he was. And, uh, he was hey, just... shout, out, shout out Lane McCallum. Um, 2019 and to a lesser extent 2018 will not be remembered well, but Lane McCallum deserves a special place in Scott Frost's um, history of this team. Shout out Lane McCallum. Safety coming in and kicking a game. It didn't look pretty, but game-winning field goal. That was a memorable moment. We got a picture of him being carried off the field. It was great. Shout out to both of those guys, actually. Uh, both of those guys, I think, have, are going to have a special place in my heart. Uh, but, uh, Derek, we need to get into this press conference from today, and I know you were also at the press conference on Tuesday, and uh, at is relative because of Zoom, um, but that's the easiest way to put it. You were at those press conferences asking questions. Uh, and I just like to I say, was there in spirit. Yeah, you were there in spirit. i just like to say, first things first, your hair was looking absolutely glorious on the uh, on the, the live feed I'm watching. How long have you spent growing out those luscious locks? Um, let's see. I got engaged in December of... Uh, it would have been December of 2018. We spent all of 2019 engaged and got married early 2020. So December of 2018 is when we decided that we were going to grow my hair out. And I think February of 2019 may have been the last time I actually had any length cut off. Wow. Um, so a long time, but I'm going to keep growing. Like, we just wanted to see what it would look like for the wedding because my hair naturally curls. Um, and now that it's long and it's curly, um, it's, it's a little bit of maintenance, but my wife likes it. So it stays. Yeah. You got to do what the wife likes. Uh, that's, that's just unar- inarguable at this point. I tried to grow out my hair once and it just looked terrible and I gave up early. So props to you. Um, but when, when we're actually looking at this press conference uh, specifically, a lot of interesting thoughts this morning, and I want to start off uh, with 
really a big fan in a lot or a big question in a lot of Husker fans' minds, and that's the starting quarterback role. Matt Lubick came on and essentially said, "Yeah, Adrian's our starter, but we're looking forward to a healthy competition." Both those guys look great in camp, which is a little bit of coach speak. It's a little bit of just saying nothing with a whole bunch of words. Uh, what was your read into that statement from Matt Lubick? No, I didn't make much of the quarterback talk. Um, they're they're going to get asked about the quarterback because it's Nebraska and it's quarterbacks, and Adrian Martinez didn't have a great. 2019 season, but I didn't. Nothing he said stood out to me, and was like, "Oh, that um, I was not expecting that, or that was interesting." Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a quarterback competition in the sense that they have to have a quarterback competition. It's a quarterback competition in the sense that, like, if Luke McCaffrey just blows everybody's socks off and um, you know runs away with the job he'll you know they'll give it to the guy who deserves it most but i still think that that guy is adrian martinez and i still think that they think that guy is adrian martinez and um you know i think if we get into the season and and adrian shows that he, he just doesn't have it it's, that he's not that guy then i think that the hook will be a, a little it'll come a little quicker than maybe it did a year ago mm-hmm. um just because i think they feel really good about where they're at from a quarterback standpoint, and they feel really good about Luke McCaffrey and what he gives them. Um, but I, I just, I still think that that they also feel uh, equally good about what Adrian Martinez is capable of, what he can do when fully healthy, what he can do um, in an offense that's firing on all cylinders. And you know, one thing that Lubick said, that that Scott Frost has said, that uh, Mario Verduzco says all of the time um, that people like to kind of gloss over or maybe devalue a little bit is that um, the quarterback is, is one guy. Uh, Frost uses the phrase praise and blame are all the same. The quarterback gets more of it than he probably should when the team is doing well. And um, he gets more blame than he probably should when the team is doing poorly. And that was one thing that Lubick stressed is it isn't, you know, offensive failure, offensive stagnation, whatever you want to call it. It's not all on Adrian Martinez. He wasn't healthy um, early in the season. He wasn't getting snaps where he needed to. It was thrown off timing. He hasn't had the kind of pass catchers that uh, that Nebraska would have uh, hoped to give him. And so, you know, I, I still think that, that they're optimistic about what he gives them, that they're optimistic about what he can do. Um, and, you know, I think I think this offseason, the way that they went about I think they retool. I think you could call it retooling around your quarterback and, and retooling the offense. They brought in a new offensive coordinator. Um, they went hard after after top skill guys on the recruiting trail to try to give him some new weapons. And and you know I think they've got depth in places that they haven't had it in a while. And so I think that you know I think personally, and if I'm wrong. I'll eat crow for it, but I just think personally, like Adrian is the guy. Adrian gives mm-hmm. them a really good chance at winning a lot of games, and um, I think that they're going to ride with him until proven otherwise. Derek Peterson is with us on Hale Varsity Radio, and Derek, I'm with you 100. percent I think Adrian's the guy, and I think it's going to have to be a bad performance and maybe a couple bad performances from Adrian before Luke would even get a shot uh, to come in and lead the offense. Maybe a few packages for him, but. Adrian Martinez, I think they're expecting him to get back to freshman form. Uh, but, Derek, I think the bigger question on offense is the supporting cast around Adrian. We know it's probably going to be Dedrick Mills at running back, uh, but uh, and we also pretty much know who the offensive line is going to be. Uh, we got into that a little bit first hour. Uh, but when you're looking at the wide receivers, a lot of new talent coming in, uh, and you know, just 
a couple thoughts from Lubick this morning on Alante Brown and Omar Manning. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the wide receivers and what Lubick had to say about them? Yeah, he said Omar Manning has dealt with some um, nagging injury stuff since getting on campus. It's obviously not something that you want to hear the first time you talk to the offensive coordinator in months and months. Um, most of the excitement around what the offense can do from a skill position standpoint is, is, is kind of centered around Omar Manning just because of um, how excited they were to get him. So, you know, you hope that he's fine. You hope that he can, um, you know, knock some of the rust off or kick some of that and, and be healthy and be fine whenever they're, they're playing because they're probably going to need, I mean, not probably they are going to need his skill set. Um, Lubick wasn't the only guy to sing Alante Brown's praises. Uh, Jack Stoll said that he's a, he's a dude that's turned some heads and he's a dude that uh, when he gets out in the open field, he's hard to catch when he gets, gets at full speed. Um, they're going to need, they're going to need a lot of guys. And, and you, you, you know, you got to think too about what Travis Fisher said on Tuesday where he said, you know, it's not just one or two guys anymore that they have to worry about in practice. It's six, seven or eight. And you know, we're going to have to wait to see how, just how much of that comment is coach speak and how much of it is, is real. Um, but I, I think certainly more so than, than in their first two years, they got options at wide receiver. And if a dude isn't cutting it, then they can go to somebody else. Like, like think about who that number three wide receiver would be. If Omar Manning is and Wanda Robinson are your top two, it kind of seems like Alante Brown is maybe the number three. If Alante Brown isn't ready, then your number three would become Cade Warner, who they like. And if he's not getting it done, your number three would then become maybe Xavier Betts, um, who they really like. And if he's not getting it done, then your number three becomes Marcus Fleming, uh, who they really like. And then, you know, you've got Jamie Nance and Demarion Houston. Who've, who've been around a year and been around the offense and learned the offense. I, I think, you know, and then you got Levi, Levi Falk, a graduate transfer wide receiver um, who's played a lot of ball. I think, I just think that they've got, they've got a lot of options where um, they haven't in the past. And I am really bullish on the wide receiver room. I just got done recording a podcast with Greg Smith and we talked about this exact topic. Um, and I, and I try to, you know, each time I let myself think like, this should be a pretty good wide receiver group. This should be um, one of the better groups in the conference, just based on, you know, depth on paper. You, you try to ground that just because they haven't, you know, Nebraska hasn't proven it so far under frost, but you know, everything we talked about with this scheme, with this system, going back to the chip Kelly days at Oregon was they can get guys open. They can get guys the ball and it doesn't necessarily matter who it is. And if they have those options, if they have things clicking, if the offensive line, which is a big part of this, is doing what they're supposed to do, it, it can be really dangerous if they have those options. And so, you know, we'll see when the season starts um, how many of those guys are reliable. But just, you know, from the looks of things right now, they've got more options than they have had. Derek, I think there's so many great options, so many guys in that wide receiver room looking to make a name for themselves uh, in the upcoming season. I'm really excited to see uh, the competition there going through fall camp and who gets that nod uh, in, in the starting lineup and the two deep and all that. Uh, but the other question on offense when you're looking, it's passing game and you got running game. And, and with the running game, we, we know who the, the number one back is going to be. It's most likely Diedrich Mills. Uh, but we found that in 
Nebraska offense, it's running a lot better when you have a, a Thunder guy and a Lightning guy. Uh, two years ago, you had Divine Zigbo, who was more of a Thunder guy, and then you had Maurice Washington, who was a Lightning guy. Uh, this upcoming year, it seems like Diedrich Mills more of a Thunder guy, uh, but I mean, a couple options at the Lightning guy. It sounds like the Husker coaches are pretty high on Ronald Tompkins. Yeah, it seems like the more we talk to um, Nebraska's coaches, Nebraska's players, the, the more we hear about Ronald Tompkins. Um, and, you know, this was a guy who Greg Smith was kind of rattling off his offer list to me from, you know, coming out of high school. And it's, it's what you would see from a running back at like Alabama or Clemson. He could have, you know, he had his pick of the litter and go anywhere he wanted. And he chose Nebraska. And you've heard Ryan Held say multiple times um, since Ronald Tompkins arrived on campus that if Tompkins doesn't get hurt, he's probably not at Nebraska. And that might be like one of the best compliments that you could pay to a kid, to a young kid. Um, they, they like him. They really like him. And, you know, just based off of what we've heard, he's healthy. He's progressing. Um, if, he's, if he's got a firm grasp of the offense, if he can be uh, a positive or at least a net neutral in pass protection, um, then, yeah, absolutely. The number two running back spot is absolutely up for grabs. And they've got, you know, Ramir Johnson, who they wanted to see add some weight. And then they've got two freshmen, two true freshmen, and Marvin Scott and uh, Savion Morrison. I really like Savion, but um, if Donald Tompkins is healthy, Ronald Tompkins is kind of making moves. Um, you know, competition is never a bad thing. So if you can have four guys competing for a backup spot where you're going to get like maybe six or seven carries a game on average, like you're all the better for it. Derek Peterson is with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. And Derek, probably time for one last stop, but you've been traveling around the state on Fridays as you're following the Kearney Catholic uh, high school football team and their quarterback, Heinrich Harburg. Uh, are you going to be on the road again tomorrow night? Yeah, I'll be out in Kearney. Yep. Uh, who is Kearney Catholic taking on tomorrow night? Oh, now you're putting me on the spot. I should know this off the top of my head. Let me look up my calendar. They play Broken Bow. Broken Bow. We'll see. That should be a fun matchup, Derek. Enjoy that. And it was good getting caught up with you. Uh, other than that, any other plans for the weekend? But watch some football, maybe? I mean, NBA Finals, a lot of options. What do you got going on? Watching some football. Watching some football, the finals uh, are probably not going to be fun after so many injuries. Um, Lakers in four, probably. Wow. But FIFA, FIFA 21 is available, so I'm going to try to buy some time to play that. Don't oh. tell my bosses. You know, I'm with you on that one. I didn't realize it was dropping this weekend. FIFA 21. I've been playing a lot of PGA Tour. FIFA 21 this weekend. Derek, thanks for the time, and uh, be safe. Have fun out in Kearney tomorrow night. Appreciate you. The Hale Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts, Chris Schmitz. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he's 28, and now, roll tide. And Mark Cranach. Time has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot is me. Roll into hour two of a weekend edition of Hale Varsity Radio. I am not Chris Schmidt. It's Elijah Herbal. The man next to me not is Mark not Rain. Mark Rainack. It's Colton Stone making his return to Hale Varsity Radio, running the show this morning. We got Damon Barr. And also making his return to Hale Varsity Radio is Brandon Vogel, managing editor of Hale Varsity Magazine. Brandon, 
What a lovely Saturday morning. Nice and cool. Feels like fall as we get into October. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. It is, in fact, me, though, so I feel a little left out. I feel like I should have had a, a sit-in of some sort. But but here we are. It does feel like fall. I get up at 7 a.m. to start the smoker. So in another eight hours or so, I'll have some pulled pork. So all in all, things are going pretty well. Brandon, who would be your, your fill-in? Who would be your stunt double if, if we had to make an audible and, and call somebody else on a Saturday? Oh. <sighs> Good question. Um, I mean, I know you already replayed his his, his uh, interview, but but Derek and I tend to uh, align on things more often. Well, it's close between between he and Jacob. Actually, Jacob might be the call. Um, Jacob and I tend to have a pretty similar view on most things related to uh, Nebraska athletics. So now, if this was an action movie as opposed to a sports talk radio show, who would your stunt double be in that case? Um. Let's see. I mean, I'm kind of limited uh, with with my uh, lack of hair to like basically Bill Will or Bruce Willis or maybe Billy Zane. Uh, but hey, Vin Diesel, if those Vin are Diesel. two options. I'll, Vin Diesel. Yeah, I, I I would have to spend a little more time in the gym than I do for that one to work. <laughs> I, I'll take Bruce Willis. That's my top pick. And we'll cross uh, we'll cross the rock off the list. Uh, Brandon, <laughs> before we uh, before we get into Husker football. I, we were talking about this right before we came back. So Mississippi State plays Arkansas, so that should just be a massacre. But uh, with Leach and Costello, I mean, is there a, is there a reality that uh, Costello could get, go out there and, and break the SEC passing record uh, second week in a row? <laughs> I mean, yeah, there, there is. I mean, Arkansas – Arkansas was was pretty impressive in the first half last week against Georgia, more so than I guess uh, me watching. Well, kind of dipping in and out of that game uh, and, and being unimpressed by by Georgia. I was, I was like, I, I didn't know if Arkansas Arkansas was going to be able to do this against anybody. Um, all season long, they just had such a long way to go. So they might be able to to hold things down for a little bit. Uh, at least they have a, a week of game film. And, and that LSU defense was obviously replacing a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, had a key injury at corner, which which certainly didn't help. But you, you look at the storylines and, and the number of times the Pelini defense has matched up with a leech offense, which I know plenty of people did. And still a little surprising to see Mississippi State do what it did. So yeah, I think that's. I think it's a great call. Uh, breaking your one-week record uh, in the SEC is probably on the table for today. We're talking with managing editor of Hale Varsity Magazine, Brandon Vogel, author of Dream Like a Champion. And Brandon, when we're looking at offense, Nebraska does not run an air raid like Mike Leach as much as I, I sometimes wish we were. Uh, I don't think Husker fans would be big fans of that as, as you got to run the ball. But when, you, when you're looking at the offense in 2020, uh, do you think that the Huskers are going to be leaning more on their run game? Diedrich Mills got some experience last year and seemed to get stronger as the year goes on. Uh, and, and he's back this year. Uh, and it feels like he's going to be just uh, a focus of this offense. But Adrian Martinez got a lot more weapons to throw to this year. When you look at Omar Manning, Wandale Robinson, fully healthy, Elante Brown. Uh, they're just just a variety of options that he did not have last year. Do you think this Husker offense is going to be more run-based, more pass-based? I mean, I know Scott Frost wants a good 50-50 mix. Yeah, that, that was the, the interesting thing about last year is Nebraska was up close to, to 60% run, which was by far the, the heaviest run percentage 
uh, of a Scott Frost offense, and they weren't doing it all that well for the most part. The uh, Wisconsin game kind of being the notable exception. Um, you know, think back to what you thought of this offense when it was coming from UCF. This was this was true there too. It, it really is built, and you go you can even go back to those Oregon offenses that that Frost was a part of. It really is built on a, a strong running game. You know, it's it's not the I formation or or flex bone or any of that stuff, but having that success on the ground. So I think where Nebraska would hope to be, and I think where the best spot for its offense would be in 2020 is running it less often, but, but having more success Um, because without that success, we kind of saw how things, things went in a year when a lot of people, myself included, thought they were poised to have a pretty big year offensively. I think they might be even better suited uh, towards, towards running the football this year. Uh, You know, we've heard, well, Coach Frost said it yesterday uh, about how optimistic he is about the line, and you can just look at the experience with some of the young additions that they've made and, and feel pretty good about that. If you have that, and if, if, if Mills is able to to be your get the bulk of your carries, you throw in Adrian Martinez and, and even Luke McCaffrey if he sees some snaps as really dangerous running threats. Then you're you're all of a sudden you kind of like the setup. It gives you time to break in that pretty green receiver group, and if you get the contribution out of, out of one of the young running backs, you know you, you got the makings there of, of an offense that I'm pretty optimistic about going into 2020. Brady, you touched on the quarterback situation uh, a little bit, and I know Elijah and I have talked about this a little bit too. Do you do you see Martinez and McCaffrey as a as a real competition? Do you see maybe Martinez as a a short leash uh, early in the season, or kind of with how the schedule set up, week one, week two? Uh, well, actually, the first four weeks is really kind of tough. Uh, you know, what what do you see with that quarterback position? Because I think it, it'd be easy to just say it'll be Martinez uh, until it's not. But I, I feel like if McCaffrey's showing something extraordinary in fall camp then it's hard not to at least give him give him some sort of a chance right yeah and i i think you know he'll he'll have that opportunity uh, the, the thing with mccaffrey uh we we kind of remember the, the the times he was on the field last year and he, he definitely made some some splash plays the athleticism is is obvious when he's out there um he, he still doesn't have a ton of experience just, just throwing the football. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where I think Adrian extends his lead in this race for me personally. And it's just, it's just mostly an experience angle. Although, you know, going into, I, I think of this a lot when I think about Nebraska's kind of two, two quarterbacks here in 2010, uh, nobody was paying Taylor Martinez to win that job. And it, came out in those, those first four, four first four games were blistering and you're just like, well, man, this guy must have, and we later learned that he was just tearing the team up in, in practice, but he was still really limited. Like as excellent as he was at running the football, the passing game wasn't quite there yet. And, and I think McCaffrey's closer as a passer uh, and, and that helps him. But I think you hit on a key point there. You, you look at the start to this season uh, it, maybe it's a little bit different if you, you have the traditional three non-conference games with a little bit of a softer opening, but you've got to be ready to go right away, and I think that uh, only increases Martinez's experience edge. 
And, and you hear it a lot, Brandon, that the backup quarterback's the most popular guy in town, so obviously the quarterback battle is going to get a lot of attention as we roll through fall camp. Uh, seems like, uh, according to, uh, to Matt Lubick, that Martinez is the guy at the moment, and, and that's no surprise with this coaching staff. They, they've been a big proponent of Adrian Martinez sticking behind him, uh, sticking with him even through his struggles last season, uh, which partly could be uh, due to injury and, and the pieces around him. But as we roll through fall camp, what other position battles are you most intrigued by, uh, both on offense and on defense? Um, be really interested. I, I think wide receiver is kind of at the top of the list for a lot of people, myself included. Um, you just look at some of the options there. And, and some young guys are going to have to play. Omar Manning and Alante Brown probably most most likely. I, I would be shocked if you don't see them early and often. Um, but even, even beyond that, you know, a, a, a player like Betts, who seemed to be tailor-made for, for what they want to do, but you know his name hasn't come qu- up quite as much through this, this strange offseason, so I'll be interested to see where he's at. I'm also interested to see how having veteran um, tight ends and, and just a lot of options there factor in. And then also Chris Hickman, you know, a former tight end who, who's out there as, as a 6'4 wide receiver now. Um, so, so that group's super interesting. I think the compliment on the defensive line, like we can kind of look at the three most experienced guys and assume they'll be the, the first three out there. But, but what happens behind them? Um, guys like Ty Robinson and Keen Green, um, some of these younger defensive ends that you're, you're looking to, to make an impact at Nebraska. Secondary, uh, I, I'm kind of always obsessed with the secondary, but that one's another another one that even with, as we learned yesterday, the loss of Braxton Clark, that, that takes out one pretty good option. But Nebraska just has so many young guys there that I'm excited to see kind of the second wave behind guys like Boodle and Dismuke, um, Cam Taylor-Britt, of course, in that group. And then Deontay Williams. You know, uh, I'm so excited to finally see him play football at length, at least I hope, um, and, and avoid that injury luck that, that hasn't been on his side. So those are probably the top three for me. Brandon, uh, I know you touched on the offensive line a little bit. Uh, what I found kind of interesting from, from Greg Austin is just the a bit of the variety that they have uh, as far as positions that guys could play. It kind of seems like it's a uh, – you know, if, if one week we need you to play guard, then that's what you're doing that week. Um, what do you kind of make of, of this offensive line? Obviously, there's depth. Obviously, there's experience. Uh, and with Greg Austin, it kind of seems like this this group, this unit, should be pretty well set to go. But uh, we know that hasn't necessarily been the case with, with the Big Ten trenches so far. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been tough for Nebraska. Um, and just the level... I guess the the base level, uh, if you want to be an average offensive line in the Big Ten, it, it's pretty high. The average offensive line in the Big Ten is probably in the top 30 or 40 nationally. That's just kind of the way the conference has always been. And I think that's been a little bit of an adjustment for Nebraska. You look at this year's group, um, and you know you have four returning starters. You, you feel pretty set. So the fact that there are as, as many young guys, I think, um, so working, working in there, I mean, to, to be able to move a senior right tackle to guard because you feel like Bryce Binhart's going to be ready to go. And, oh, Brant Banks is right there behind him. Um, you look, like, look at a guy like Piper, who the coaching staff has 
since he arrived, has really been pretty high on, but kind of in, in hushed tones because he just wasn't quite ready to see the field for an extended amount of time. I think you're getting a pretty good competition level, um, you know, two and three deep. I mean, when Austin was kind of running through all the options and where they were at, yeah, you had some guys who were listed multiple times, but you also went three deep. And I don't know how often Nebraska's been able to do that in the past. So you've got experience. You should have some depth. And the result of that is competition. And, and, and we'll see. You know, it's, it's always a little bit surprising, especially on the offensive line where experience matters quite a bit when a young guy overtakes somebody. But I think that's usually a good sign. Um, so we'll see for Nebraska this year. We're chatting with uh, managing editor of Hale Varsity Magazine, Brandon Vogel, here on the Saturday morning edition of Hale Varsity Radio. And Brandon, a position group that's traditionally, at least in Nebraska, uh, been an extension of the offensive line has been the tight end room. And, and so much was made of Thomas Fedoni's commitment to Nebraska that it almost feels like the, the current crop of tight ends in Nebraska has been overshadowed just a little bit. But Scott Frost made sure to say that he's excited for the uh, the tight ends this upcoming season for Nebraska. And, and what do you think their role in, in the offense is going to be? And, and who's going to be that week one starter uh, come October 24th? Yeah, they, they have uh, so many kind of intriguing options that I think you'll see more two tight end um, sets, and, and not in the classic way, you know, maybe an inline tight end, maybe an H back, or you, you split out, split out that inline tight end. I mean, they've they've got the versatility to do that now with with guys like Stoll and and Vokalek. You know, just I mean, Stoll's been around, of course, but. His continued development, you add Vokalek. Um, they've already got two guys signed in this upcoming class. Uh, kind of a eye-opening moment was Sean Beckton on Thursday mentioning uh, they might take a third. Uh, and I think we all know <laughs> who, who, who that target could be. Um, so just having those, those versatile tight ends really allows you to do a lot. Um, and that, too, I think, buys you a little bit of time as this receiver group kind of gets used to playing college football at this level. Uh, if you can have two tight ends on the field a lot of the time and, and one of them's comfortable splitting all the way out or playing a little bit in the slot or whatever you want to do there, um, it, it just gives you so much more versatility. Uh, and, and we'll see. It's been strange through these first two years that – the tight ends hadn't had a bigger role in, in the offense uh, at UCF there. They were a pretty big part of things, but all of the coaches you talk to feel like they're closer to where they want to be with that group now. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if it makes a difference. Brendan, I know we're, we're still three weeks out. Everything we say is kind of, you know, could, could change in a week, could change in a month, but you know, a, a question that we, we stumble across a lot with Nebraska is, do we think the offense or defense is going to be more game-ready uh, come Ohio State week? It seems like the experience more so lies on the offense, but I know we always talk about you know defense can kind of play off of motion um, rather than off of schematics. So, I mean, in, in your very early uh, thought, I, I, do you think the offense or defense will be more prepared come week one? Yeah, I would I would say the offense based on two things: the experience that you mentioned. They just return um, most of their key contributors from from last season, um, and then it, it, it's kind of the like old coaching thing that I think every coach ever has said in fall camp about the, the offense just being ahead of the defense. 
And I think you're right. Emotion can sometimes trump that. But defense by its nature is a little bit it, – well, it's not a little bit. It's totally reactive. Like, you are reacting to what the offense does. And, yes, you put in, you know, your formations and your plans and you scout to try and eliminate as much of that as possible. But at the end of the day, it's still go get the ball. Uh, and, and early on, you know, so, so Nebraska has all of Ohio State's film from, from last year. You know, they can go back as far as you want, but – the teams are all going to look a little bit different in, a, in an opening game. So I think you look at that Ohio State game for Nebraska, the opener, um, if, if the Huskers are to have a shot there, um, it's probably a high-scoring affair. And, and the Nebraska offense probably looks better than most people would even think it could in right out of the gates. That seems like their best bet. Brandon, we've heard a few times from the coaches uh, in the previous week that one of their big concerns of playing without fans in the stands is, is going to be energy. And when you think of energy, you usually think of, of defense, being able to rally to the ball, uh, showing life and stopping an offense. And in offense, it almost feels like it's advantage offense with no fans because so much communication happens pre-snap. Uh, are you concerned about the defense's ability to perform this year without having a, a rock and Memorial Stadium uh, come our first home game against Wisconsin? Yeah, I think that's one that um, I don't know if I'm concerned, but it's worth watching uh, because you're – Nebraska isn't necessarily a young defense. You know, they're probably going to start two seniors, linebacker, the, the secondary is really experienced in, in the D-line. While not all three of them weren't technically starters last year, they've all played. So it's not a totally green group with a ton of redshirt freshmen, but it's a group that hasn't really been together in this form. And, and also Nebraska's defense, it, it's not like it's, coming off of two years of being exactly where it wants to be. It's still in development, like, like the program as a whole. Um, but, but I think that that's part of it. Just when, it, when you're a defense that maybe hasn't had quite as much success as, as you would hope, when you start having that success, um, that's, that's good. But I think you lose a little bit, of, little bit when you, you know, okay, hey, we're playing really good defense. We're playing better defense than we played over the past three seasons. Uh, and, and you don't have the crowd kind of like forcing you along. You know, you have those high leverage third downs where games kind of swing back and forth, uh, and you just got to supply that motivation yourself. It's it's something worth watching, particularly on defense. Brandon, last thought before we let you go. Uh, with that defense, you, you got to expect that there's got to be some leaders that are going to have to step up uh, with especially the lack of fans, lack of energy. And Colton and I were talking uh, in the last break uh, how it just feels like JoJo Doman's been around for forever. It's going to be a year where he's going to have to step up and be a leader. Uh, we heard from Shenander that he wants JoJo Doman to be one of those guys that's going to be on the field a lot. Uh, we heard as well from, uh, uh, oh man, now his name's, his name's slipping me. Uh, uh, Dawson, Coach Dawson, uh, that he wants JoJo Doman to kind of be a bell cow of the defense. Uh, what, what's your take on, on JoJo Doman, and, and what do you think the performance of him is going to be this year? Yeah, so he's, he's uh, a guy who's obviously made some, some pretty big splash plays for Nebraska. Uh, I think back to, I think it was the, the one spring press conference we got, and the, the read on him was still maybe freelance a little bit too much. So I think that's that's kind of the key. Like he he's really versatile, um, has the ability. He's just he's a football player kind of through and through. And if you can harness that um, and, and make him into an every down player, I think he has a chance to have a pretty big year. 
Um, and, and Nebraska needs that. It absolutely needs some production out of outside linebacker. We all know that. And that's, that's not a position I think you can just kind of pencil in, like here are your top two options uh, and, and go at it. You know, where's Garrett Nelson at after a year of playing a lot of football? Uh, I'm interested to see that. But the, that linebacker group as a whole, I think is really key. I think it was you, Elijah, in the first hour. I heard you mention, mention missed tackles. That continues to be big. Nebraska ranked in the 90s nationally in terms of its missed miss tackle percentage last year and 13th in the Big Ten. That's got to change. Uh, you got to get a little bit more pressure on the quarterback. Nebraska hasn't had a first-team all-Big Ten linebacker since Levante David. Um, and it's just in a league that's full of good linebackers, it one, it's tough to it's tough to stand out, but you've got to be a little bit more competitive than that. So that's a really key group in twenty twenty. Talking with uh, managing editor of Hale Varsity Magazine, author of Dream Like a Champion, Brandon Vogel. Brandon, it was good to get caught up on a Saturday morning. Uh, good luck with your pulled pork today and have a good one, all right? You too guys, thanks a lot. That was Brandon Vogel, uh, as we usually get caught up with him on Saturday mornings. Always, always a good chat from Brandon. So much insight uh, relating to the Husker offense, the Husker defense, and uh, what's coming up in the next few weeks before we get to Ohio State game week. Coming up after the break, going to get caught up with Gary Sharp, the Iron Horse. Another just awesome person to talk to on Saturday mornings. I know you love him. We love talking with him. So much insight. Excited to chat a little about Bob Gibson with him, as well as uh, some Husker football. That's coming up after the break. It's a weekend edition of Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Early to rise with Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Here's Chris Schmidt and Mark Cranick. Saturday morning edition of Hale Varsity Radio. No Chris Schmidt, no Mark Cranick. It's the replacements stepping in and stepping up. Elijah Herbal alongside Colton Stone, Damon Bars running the show. Uh, but one of the usuals of the Saturday Morning Show is joining us right now. It's the Iron Horse, Gary Sharp. You hear him on the Gary Sharp Show, 1620 The Zone. You also hear him covering UNO basketball uh, and high school football up in Omaha as Gary last night was uh, was on the call for the Omaha West Side game uh, against Millard North, the pride of the fighting Colton Stones. <laughs> Gary, uh, that game last night... Westside, obviously, so dominant. They're one of the best teams in Nebraska this year. What's your take on them? Was that, was that your first time calling a game for them this year? Uh, it was the first time seeing Westside on TV. First of all, you guys are not the replacements. You are like the good closers coming out of the bullpen. So don't sell yourself short, but great to hear all three of you. Um, Westside is as advertised. I, I, I've seen Bellevue West as well. Those are the two best teams in Class A. Not very far behind is Millard South, Elkhorn South, and surprisingly, Gretna's having a really good year. But Westside is a really, really good football team with a third-year starter at quarterback and four Division I uh, commitments on the roster. They're just really, really good. Um, and last night they took on a, a Miller North team that's still trying to find their way. They won 44-14. to 14. But I will tell you, Cole Payton, I think Cole Payton is the best quarterback in the state ahead of Harburg out at Kearney Catholic. Um, Avante Dickerson looked great. But Kobe Bretz is going to be an interesting prospect you committed to Nebraska. Uh, you don't know if he's going to be a safety or an outside linebacker. He's got a body that I think Zach Duvall and his staff will drool over. He's the best athlete in the state. But Westside is the best team in the state just by a little bit over Bellevue West. Chat with Gary Sharp here on a Saturday morning edition of Hale Varsity Radio. And Gary, you're so knowledgeable in the Omaha sports scene. And uh, the Omaha sports scene lost a great one last night in Bob Gibson. Only a few weeks ago, we lost Gail Sayers just 
part of the golden era of Omaha high school athletics. I mean, how often do you have a city, even the size of Omaha, produce two generational talents within a few years of each other in, uh, in uh, Gail Sayers and Bob Gibson? Uh, but Bob Gibson, man, just dominant, dominant, dominant pitcher, led to rule changes in baseball uh, as they lowered the mound after his 1968 season. Uh, do you have any thoughts on the passing of Bob Gibson before we get into some Husker football news? Well, both of those guys, and thanks for bringing them up. Um, you know, it's unique. A town the size of Omaha would produce two legends in their sport, like Gail Sayers and Bob Gibson. But they were not only great on the playing field, they were really good men off the playing field. And Gail Sayers was one of the most amazing high school athletes in the state of Nebraska. His career was short with the Bears, but he did so much more away from the football field. With Bob Gibson... People now know about 68 World Series, how dominant he was. His whole 68 season, just how dominant Bob Gibson was. And he is a legend. You, you, I tweeted out last night, if I had to win one game, I would hand the ball to Bob Gibson. He was just a dominating, intimidating person. But you know what? Away from the mound and away from the competition, he still had that fire when you would interview him or you would talk to him. Gosh, I had some great conversations with him. He was one of the nicest people. He gave back to his community but kept a very low profile here in Omaha. I know he had not been doing well for the last couple of weeks. And he's one of those guys that you thought, man, if there's somebody that's going to strike out and stare down cancer, it's going to be Bob Gibson. And, uh, you know, it's tough here in Omaha because a lot of people grew up watching him either in high school at Omaha Central with Gale Shares or Bob Gibson in high school or what he did at Creighton. Uh, just Gary touching a little bit more on, uh, on Bob Gibson, just as you said, it's just incredible that Omaha could produce two guys like that, uh, that were at the top of their, of their sports. But we are seeing a little bit of a resurgence among, uh, Nebraska high school athletics, especially here in recent years, uh, with all the homegrown talent going over to the Huskers. You mentioned Cole Payton last night, Heinrich Harburg, uh, you got Avante Dickerson, just so much talent in this Nebraska sports scene. Do, do you have any insight into why the, the high school talent in Nebraska right now uh, is making a resurgence? Well, I think it's become a year-round thing. You know, it, it used to be you would play your fall sport, you'd go to your winter sport, you go to your spring sport. And I, I think we still see a, a lot of multi-sport athletes, but they're training year-round now. And I think that really helps them. There's, there's a lot of private uh, gyms and trainers that are working with these athletes outside of their season and so they never miss a beat. Plus, I will say, the coaching is better. Coaching is better in high school uh, in terms of the head coach, the position coaches. And what happens is it just takes one college coming in, a big-name school to recruit a player. You know, that trickles down. Then another kid that might be in eighth grade goes, boy, I could get Notre Dame or Nebraska or Alabama looking at me. And it, it just continues the cycle. But, you know, it's not just Omaha. It's, it's Lincoln. It's around the state. The high school football talent in particular, and there's basketball as well, has really taken off. And that's, that can either be looked at two ways for Nebraska. Either that's a huge benefit because they can stay closer to home in recruiting, or they're going to have more competition for these great athletes that other schools aren't afraid to come into Nebraska and recruit them. Yeah, Gary, that's kind of where I was, I was about to go. You, you look at uh, you know, how, how hot Frost's staff has been with, with some recruiting, but at, at times you know, through the past handful of uh, of staffs you know you, you've seen plenty of guys from Nebraska leave because those schools come in and swoop in or or uh, maybe they're not all quite you know division one talent that you know you don't recognize until maybe they go somewhere else and all of a sudden they're a star what what do you think about Frost staff 
changes uh, with, with recruiting now that there is kind of this resurgence? Uh, like you said, not only in football, obviously there's uh, plenty of SAS basketball. Sometimes they, they lose out to Creighton or UNO. Um, but what 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 measures do you think they're taking to make sure that, like, hey, if this guy is a, is a top guy in the state, we don't want him going anywhere else? Well, I think the familiarity. When you have a head coach that was a prep star in Nebraska, you have Barrett Root on your staff. You have uh, other guys that are very familiar with what football in Nebraska means and that they also don't discount the talent. I think we've gone through a couple of staffs prior to this one where – Ah, it's kid for Nebraska. Can he really help us? Is he a Big Ten or Big 12 player? I think that's changed. And I also think, I talk to kids that get offers from Nebraska. Either they are in Lincoln right now or they've gone somewhere else. And I want to know what's their relationship like with Nebraska. And most of them will say, and even coaches will tell me this, guys, that Nebraska, this staff is very genuine. When they are recruiting you, they're not phony. If it's a local kid, they want them, they will pursue them, and they will do everything to build the relationship not take for granted just because they're from Nebraska they're going to say yes to Nebraska. So I think this staff is going the extra mile with in-state kids. I think in the past we didn't see that. They recruited in-state kids, but they just kind of took for granted that, hey, you're a Nebraska kid, you grew up as a Nebraska fan, which is not necessarily the case when you consider the age of recruits now. They don't remember the heydays. They weren't, they weren't around for the heydays, but you don't take them for granted. So this staff identifies local players early, and they get after them. And the ones they want, they will continue to pursue. But even the ones that say no, if that prospect continues to keep the line of communication open, Nebraska will continue to recruit them, even though they've committed somewhere else. We're chatting with the Iron Horse himself. It's Gary Sharp on a weekend edition of Hale Varsity Radio. And Gary, one of the big things that this this Scott Frost coaching staff has really emphasized since they've taken over has been the walk-on program. And the walk-on program took a little bit of a hit this week, uh, not directly, uh, but the Big Ten uh, is holding firm on this 170 daily limit uh, to the, their COVID testing. And with the Huskers' giant roster of 154 plus the coaching staff, uh, there's going to be guys that aren't going to be around the team in uh, every single day uh, because the Huskers just can't test as many guys uh, as they'd like to be able to. Uh, just, do you have thoughts on this rule that has been passed by the Big Ten? And I mean, it just feels to me like this is targeting Nebraska, where the, the biggest roster in all of the Big Ten, we seem to be the only school that's going to be affected by this rule. Well, I think what the Big Ten is actually targeting is trying to be fair to everybody instead of separating the haves and the have-nots. I go back to fans in the stands. Some places can have fans in the stands. Big Ten didn't want to deal with it, so they said nobody can have fans in the stands. I think when it comes to the testing and the number that is out there, yes, it hurts Nebraska because Nebraska has the large roster, and it hurts development with their strong walk-on program. But I also, we need some clarification. I think you heard Scott Frost talking about that yesterday, is Nebraska signed their own deal before the Big Ten did their deal. So can Nebraska be separate? Can Nebraska on their own pay for extra tests, even though the Big Ten says no? I, I think we need some answers. But Nebraska will find a way to follow the guidelines of the Big Ten, but it will hurt the development because there's some walk-ons that are solid players that you would see on the field this year or in the next couple of years, and they would greatly benefit by going through the daily practice uh, that you're going to get beginning uh, now. Gary, I, you know, speaking about testing and, you know, if someone were to test positive, I think it, it came out, wouldn't they have to quarantine for 21 days yeah, or to be if, away from the program if you for test three positive, weeks? It's 21 days uh 
after your initial test, right. uh, just so they have an acclimation period to get back in once you uh, recover. Yeah. So just like looking at that and looking at the season with that being a factor, I mean, how how important is having that depth? Because you could, you know, week one, week two, you could lose a guy for three weeks and and not get him back till you know maybe it's it's too late. You know, uh, you know how how important is just having every guy on that team ready to go at at a moment's notice? Well, I think that's very important, and it's also a benefit that everybody gets a free year, so you don't have to worry about burning a guy more than four games because everybody gets a free year of eligibility. But depth will be important. It's also accountability. We talked about this once the Big Ten set their guidelines. It's not only guys; you have to you would be out for 21 days. You've got two weeks of quarantine, and then you've got the next week because of. Uh, myocarditis, which they'll check for with the MRI. So, again, you're out three weeks. But there's another thing. It's not only individual accountability. It is program-wide. Whether you're wearing a helmet or a headset or you've just got an office in your stadium, is if you look at the guidelines by the Big Ten, if you have eight or more uh, people inside of your program test positive, they'll shut you down for a week. So there's a lot of onus on everybody to do the right thing. And to make sure that this moves forward and you got three more empty Saturdays before you play, um, I think everybody's cognizant of this. But you're absolutely right. That is going to be such a huge thing this year to develop. But I also think it's not only to get you through 2020 because you have a tight window to play nine games in essentially nine weeks. And you can have soft tissue issues. You can have some other issues that come up because you're not used to playing full speed. And all of a sudden, you know, a year later, you're back into full speed. But I think it also benefits you to develop depth in this kind of crazy 2020 season for what you'll have in 2021. Gary, you mentioned the uh, the waiver this year for all athletes that this isn't going to count uh, as a year against their eligibility. And specifically, that seems like it's probably going to be helping uh, some of the younger guys who aren't going to have to burn a red shirt. I'm talking guys like Turner Corcoran. Uh, I'm talking guys like Timon Lynham. Uh, which other guys have I not mentioned that you think could benefit from this rule that are going to get basically a free year of play before they even get uh, their, their freshman year burnt uh, in eligibility? Well, let's go, let's go a little bit older with junior college guys like Omar Manning, Payne, Riley. Those kind of guys are just basically going to get a free year to put their feet on the ground playing at this level. I think that greatly benefits them. I'm glad you brought up Turner Corkman because he's in a unique position. I mean, when Greg Austin, and we love Greg Austin. I mean, Greg Austin, you know that he's comfortable when he just rattles off a depth chart of his offensive line. You have a true freshman that is a backup at a key tackle position. And think about it. It should not be a surprise. He came into a four-star prospect, highly heralded. He hit the ground running. But he's also playing behind a guy that could come back next year in Hymas, but probably will get nine games on tape, maybe a tenth game on tape, and he'll say, I'm going to the NFL. So there you go. you got a free year of Corcoran developing behind Hymas so that when you roll around to 2021, he can step up and possibly man that tackle position. Gary, yeah, you, you touched on that offensive line. We talked with Brandon a little bit about it. Uh, the depth and experience is just something that, you know, Nebraska really hasn't had in an offensive line. It seems like when they have an experienced offensive line that they don't really have the weapons quite ready to go with them. And then when they have the weapons, they don't really have the offensive line. But now this year you kind of have a good mix. You have a lot of weapons returning. You have a lot of weapons added. And now you have that experience and depth on the offensive line. I mean, how big of a role is is that offense 
offensive line going to play, especially, uh, you know, the, the trenches of the Big Ten are tough, and establishing the run is, is not the easiest thing to do. But it kind of seems like if you're going to win in the Big Ten, you, that's, those are the two things you have to do first. Colton, you're absolutely right. You look at that offensive line. They've got the most experience of anyone. They've got four returning starters and then a new tackle who you feel good about and was a highly, uh, highly, highly regarded recruit and Ben Hart. And, but it was an offensive line last year that was kind of hit or miss. When they were good, they were really good. But when they were off, everybody was off. It never seemed last year that everything was going right for Nebraska's offense. One day the offensive line would have a great day, but the quarterback position would be inconsistent. But then finally toward the end of the year, you got some consistency with the whole offense moving forward, even with some inconsistent play out of the quarterback position. But I think the depth on that offensive line, the experience that they know each other, and I don't think we're going to have to worry about Cam Jurgens at the beginning of the year. They, they put a lot on Cam Jurgens to be kind of the quarterback of the offensive line, making the, the line calls and such. I think this offensive line will be really good. And you've got a running back that is in chemistry with his offensive line in middle. That's why I think if you look at college football through the first month and this return and the kind of this quirky, didn't have spring, didn't have a real offseason, didn't do a lot of tackle, I think it benefits Nebraska to have their offense ahead of the defense. We're seeing it college, NFL. Offenses are exploding right now before the defense get up to speed and they get back into tackling because essentially all you've done in the offseason before you put pads on is play seven on seven. That's not a great benefit to the defense, great benefit to the offense. But having an offensive line that is experienced like Nebraska, I think is a huge benefit, especially at the beginning of the year with those first four games. I'm looking up at the clock here, and this segment just flown by, but we'll probably only have time for one last thought. Uh, so last thought on the Huskers is when we're looking at this 2020 season, which aspect of the Husker team are you most worried about uh, as we just uh, I mean, approach kickoff against Ohio State October 24th? Uh, defensive line, and I'm not hesitating. I think that's a, a line that everybody that played on that defensive line last year is playing in the NFL right now. Um, you got some new faces, and your first test is an experienced offensive line at Ohio State. I think that's a work in progress. I think 2020 is going to be rough for the defensive line, but they've built enough depth, and they have some bigger Big Ten bodies that are in the program now. I think the defensive line won't be as much a worry in 21, but I worry about it in 20. Because I also worry what you're going to get out of your outside linebackers before you get to, I think, one of the strengths of this team, the defensive backfield. But no hesitation. I think defensive line will be an important area to watch for Nebraska. Gary, before we let you go, I've heard it almost sounds like wind howling in the background of this. And it almost sounds like you're on Hoth. What are you up to right now? And what are you up to the rest of the day? Um, that's awful personal. Uh, I am uh, <laughs> actually, as we do this interview, I am running. You're running? Yeah, I gotta, I gotta be on a schedule here. I'm exercising, not like running from anything. Um, I'm exercising, so I'm, I'm multitasking. The rest of the day, it's football, guys. We only have three more empty Saturdays before Nebraska and Ohio State. Um, but you know, there's some juicy games today. You got Texas A&M, and we don't know about Jimbo Fisher. They're at Alabama, and then you got a nightcap Oklahoma Iowa State. It's just great to have football. Last year, last week started to feel like normal. This week, with all the stuff around Nebraska football hearing from coaches, hearing from players, seeing that guys were starting to practice again and ramp it up. It is kind of starting to feel normal, but we have three more Saturdays to go before it really is uh, football season around here. Last quick thought, Gary. Uh, 
based on how Georgia struggled against Arkansas last week, is Florida the real deal and and the one to watch out in the SEC East? I think so. I love I love both Kyles from a quarterback to a tight end, and plus Dan Mullen when he has a very good quarterback runs his offense really well. Watch out for Florida. I don't know about Georgia and what's going to happen at quarterback. I actually like Auburn today between the hedges. Well, Gary, it's good to get caught up with you. Enjoy the rest of your run. I'm glad you're not on Hoth, uh, but it is a little cold out there, so if you run into any Tauntauns, I hear they're, uh, they're a great sleeping bag this time of year. That is something I never thought I would hear during our interview. Good job. Well, I'm a nerd, so what can I say? Gary, enjoy your Saturday. Enjoy watching some football. Thanks, guys. This is Gary Sharp, the Iron Horse, here on a weekend edition of Hale Varsity Radio. And, and Colton, just like that, we only got about a minute left, uh, but I hope you enjoyed your time in here today. I mean... Not many times that we have uh, Chris and Mark out on the same day, um, but we stepped up admirably, if I do say so ourselves. Uh, Damon, did you have fun in there running the ship today? Uh, it's always a blast on Saturday mornings. Can't wait to go. Uh, definitely not back to bed after this. Yeah, second straight morning for you getting up early. How was driving your uh, your girlfriend to the airport yesterday? Oh, it, it was fine. I downed a bunch of melatonin and went to bed at 9 yesterday, so I, I felt energized. Wait, so 9 a.m. or p.m.? A.m. You actually stayed up all night before? No, driving? no, no. I, I downed the melatonin and went to bed at 9 p.m. Sorry. I will, ah. Never mind. Never mind. I got my, my a.m. and p.m. messed up there. It happens to the best of us. I know kindergarten was tough at times. Hey, do any of us have locks of the week? Locks of the day, I suppose? Any, any game that anyone's like really keeping an eye on here? Because Florida's a 16.5-point favorite against South Carolina. and uh, Based on how they, they win at Kiffin and, and Ole Miss, I could see Florida covering that. My problem with... with Florida this week is they still allowed 600 yards of offense to that 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 Ole yeah. Miss that Ole Miss team. Yeah, yeah, I think this is. I mean, we've talked about it. A, a lot of teams are are going to be slow out of the gate. Gary Sharp made a good point that uh, you know this is a year that if the offense is ahead of the defense, that is a huge benefit because these defenses uh, maybe maybe just slow to put it together. So I mean, I I, I like Florida against South Carolina. Sixty and a half is a lot of points, but. The one I like is Texas and TCU. Uh, Texas is coming out as the favorite again this week, and it's against a, Ten tough, points, yeah. a, t- a tough TCU team. Uh, I like the over on the total in that one, and I like taking TCU to cover. I'll be watching some, some ACC ball. Give me a definitely North Carolina over Boston College today. I'm, I've just kind of gotten on this North Carolina bandwagon recently. Um, I'm really excited to see what they do the rest of the year. Hard to root for Mac Brown, but, I mean, got to root for the Carolina Blue. Uh, not in I, basketball. I don't think you have to, but well, we're all out of time today. Saturday morning edition Hail Varsity Radio is awesome. Colton Stone, Damon Barr, Elijah Herbal, we had fun. We're back Monday. It's Hail Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery.